0: Uh, Well, it's great to be here. Um, I think this is, I don't know, the the fifth or sixth time I've been here. I've I've lost count, but it's always a pleasure to be here um, and to worship with you all and to be able to share God's Word with you. Um, For those of you who may not know who I am, my name is Peter Green. I am the um, campus pastor for an organization called Reformed University Fellowship at West Virginia University. This church is one of the uh, supporting churches of the ministry that I do there, uh, and so it's always a pleasure to come and uh, and share God's word with you. Today we're going to be looking at a passage in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have uh, your Bibles or your um, Bibles on your smartphone or whatever, and, and would like to turn there, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter ten, <clears throat> Luke chapter ten verses seventeen through twenty four. And as I uh, was preparing this sermon and thinking about the topic, um, I, I was sort of thinking... Oh, ooh, I better put, this, put the cap back on there. <laughs> Most of you all didn't see that because you were looking at your Bibles, but we almost had an accident. Um, <clears throat> uh, as I was thinking about, uh, thinking about this sermon and thinking about the topic, um, I, I was sort of thinking about conversations that I've had with missionaries... Um, or people who have been overseas and come back. And uh, one of the things that I've sort of heard people say fairly regularly is is they'll say things like, you know, um, we we went over there, and one of the the things that struck us was how joyful the people were. Um, They may not have as much as we do, but uh, but they just have a, a sense of joy in them. And that's sort of gotten me thinking, what would someone say about us and about our sort of culture or community? I shared in Sunday school about how um, one of the students that I'd been ministering to is from Saudi Arabia. uh, Year two previous to that, we had some students from Japan in our ministry. And I never sort of worked up the courage to ask them, but I, I sort of wonder, you know, would they say of us as Christians what really characterizes them is their joy. And I don't want to presume to know what the answer is. Maybe it would be yes, maybe it would be no. Um, That's not really the point. The point is to get us to think about uh, what it means to have joy and what it means to be characterized by joy and to ask ourselves whether or not our lives manifest the sort of joy that I think God wants us to have, that, that Jesus wants us to have. And what we're going to be looking at today is is the fact that Jesus wants us to experience joy, but he wants us to experience a permanent joy. And oftentimes, I think we experience joy or or we experience something like joy, but it's a temporary joy. It's a transient joy. It's the sort of joy that comes from watching our favorite sports team uh, win their game, right? But... Then we wake up the next day and we find a bill in the mail that we weren't expecting. Or we get a phone call from a family member with difficult news. Or we go to work and and our our job is not very, uh, you know, satisfying and it it just beats us down. Right? All the sorts of things that we find ourselves finding joy in are transient. They're temporary. They're uh, They're not substantial. They fleet and fly away uh, and the cares of the world drown out our joy. And what Jesus wants for us is a permanent joy and permanent joy depends on, uh, on permanent good news. Uh, my wife's name is Megan, and um, and there was a particularly difficult season in life that Megan and I were going through uh, a number of years ago. I was applying for a, a ministry position, and um, and over the course of about nine months. Uh, A ministry position would open up. I would apply for it. We would sort of go through the application process. It would look like I was going to get the job. We would get really excited thinking about moving to the new location, starting a new job. And then at the last second, something would happen. Um, and and the rug would get pulled out from under us. And that happened five times over the span of nine months where we sort of took the process all the way to the end and at the very end it fell through. And after these nine months, um, both my wife and I felt pretty beaten up um, and, and she in particular was taking it a bit harder than I was. And I was in school at the time uh, and so one day while I was at school, I got a phone call sort of saying there was a new opportunity that had opened up. It looked really good. I was really excited about it. It was a sort of um, job that I had a very high likelihood of, of getting. Uh, and so you know, I'm the sort of person that it wants to find something to hope in. I'm, I'm an optimist, and so I'll find something to hope in anything. So I sort of latched onto this, and I was excited. I, I came back from school um, and was trying to encourage my wife, and I said, you know, um, we've got this opportunity. I think it's going to be really good for you and me. Um, it's the sort of place that you would really sort of enjoy and, and be able to serve in and, and be excited about. And what she said to me was very poignant, I think. She said she didn't want another possibility. She wanted permanent good news. Um, And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at uh, the the joy that Jesus has for us, which depends on right a permanent joy that depends on permanent good news. So we're going to read Luke chapter 10 verses 17 through 24. Um, After we read this passage I'm going to pray for the preaching of God's Word. uh, And then we will look at what Jesus has to teach us in this passage. So, Luke chapter ten, starting with the seventeenth verse. This is God's word to us because He loves us and He gives us everything we need. Luke chapter ten, verse seventeen. Um, sorry, a little bit of context first. This is this is uh, Jesus has sent out his his. Disciples, and he sent out either 70 or 72 disciples throughout all the land of Palestine um, to prepare the way for him as he takes one last tour around the land of Palestine before he goes to Jerusalem to suffer and die. Jesus knows he's going to end up in Jerusalem, he knows he's going to suffer, he knows he's going to die, and he's going to take one last trip around the, the, the land of Israel. Um, preaching the message of the kingdom of God to them. And in order to prepare the way, he sends out his, his 70 or 72 disciples. They go out and they cast out demons. They heal the sick. They do amazing things. They come back and tell Jesus. And that's where we are in our passage. So, um, chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In the same hour... He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. To reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let me pray for the preaching of God's word. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would use me, uh, a, a, a weak and broken vessel, uh, to communicate your truth. Uh, I pray that you would use these words, and, uh, from your word, uh, the scripture, and the words that I am about to speak to encourage us, to comfort us, to um, to grow in us a capacity to experience permanent joy that is based on permanent good news. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Um, I'm just going to uh, make a note of what the time is so that... Uh, Keep track of where we are. Um, all right, so chapter 10, as I said, Jesus, Jesus has sent his disciples out, um, and they have come back from this time, season of ministry that he sent them on, and they have had a killer year. Uh, they have been wildly successful in what Jesus has sent them out to do, and they are coming back uh, extremely excited enthusiastic, even joyful for what they have been able to accomplish. And I want you to imagine yourself in a similar situation, uh, whatever it is that you might um, sort of be setting your your efforts to in a given year, whether that's your job or your family um, or something else, and you find yourself having incredible success, that God is blessing everything you set your hands to do Um, And you are overjoyed and overwhelmed at the success that he is giving you. Um, That is a good thing. That is an exceedingly good thing. And what Jesus says, notice what he says in response to this, right? Uh, He hears the report, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he says... Uh, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and he continues, "Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the powers of the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you." In other words, Jesus is saying, "The success that you experienced in this last season of ministry is just the beginning." Right? When he says, "I saw Satan fall from lightning," he says, "I've given you all this power and authority." What he's saying is you are only beginning to experience a small part of the work in ministry that you are going to do over the course of your lifetime, right? These are the disciples who, after Jesus' death and resurrection, are going to go out and start the church, right? Uh, They're going to go to all the four corners of the earth um, and uh, and preach about Jesus, um, and they're going to be wildly successful in their future ministry. And yet, what Jesus says is, look, it's going to get even better. The, the success that you had now is just a foretaste of what's to come. It's going to get even better. And yet, and yet, I don't want your joy to be in your success in ministry. Right? Notice what he says, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Right? Don't rejoice in the success that you have just had or the success that you're going to have, right? He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And I think it, if, you, if you were in this situation and you were coming back so excited for the good things that you had been able to do through the power of Jesus, right? The disciples aren't rejoicing in something wrong. Right? They're rejoicing in good things, that Jesus had given them power over the enemy. And you're excited about this, and you're coming back sort of like a little child um, that wants to tell his parents how excited they are that they were able to you know, accomplish something. Right? For, for me, I, I shared in Sunday school, my youngest daughter um, is, uh, is going through being potty trained. Right, So she'll like, come to us so excited that she successfully used the potty. Right, um, you, you know, the, the disciples are like little children that are so excited about what they have been able to do. And Jesus says, you know what, that's great, but that's not what you should be rejoicing in. Right? It, it can sort of seem like Jesus is sort of throwing a wet blanket on what they're doing um, and what they're rejoicing in. And yet, what I think Jesus is doing, what I think Jesus recognizes is that he wants them to rejoice in their position, not their power. He wants them to rejoice in their status before God, not in their ability to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And the reason is because as as much as they're going to have success in ministry, they're also going to have failures in ministry. And the book of Acts and the epistles of the New Testament talk about some of those failures, They talk about some of the experiences that the apostles had and the disciples had uh, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven, right, In, in the next 30, 40, 50 years as they went out and continued the work. They did have success. They had incredible success. And we exist here today because Jesus worked through them to bring his word to the four corners of the earth. And yet, they also had incredible ministry failures, both failures that were due to their own sinfulness and failures that were due to circumstances outside of their control. And if you find your success, if the disciples were to find their their joy, sorry, if if they were to find their joy in ministry success, Jesus knows that that joy is transient, it's temporary, it's not permanent. Right, because they're going to have ministry failures and ministry successes. And what Jesus wants for his disciples, what he wants for us, is not a temporary joy, not a, not a joy that's dependent on, on temporary, impermanent things, but a permanent joy that comes from permanent good news. And so what Jesus says here, right? he says, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now what does that mean? What that means... Um, <clears throat> is that they have a stake in heaven? That they have a claim to heaven? That they belong in heaven? What Jesus is saying is that your uh, your status is as someone who belongs to heaven, and that is permanent. Good news. That is permanent. Uh, that is not something that changes, right? Paul, in uh, Romans chapter 8, at the end of Romans chapter 8, let me just flip there and read it to you um, because it's so powerful, so helpful. Paul says um, in Romans chapter 8, verse um, I think it's uh, verse 38, but let me just flip there real quickly. Um, here it is. Romans chapter 8. Uh, he says, uh, verse um No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, this is what I was thinking of. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If your name is written in heaven, it is because Jesus loves you and accepts you, and that will never change. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That is permanent good news. And so, um, no matter how successful or unsuccessful the disciples are, no matter how successful or unsuccessful you or I are in whatever God gives us to do, None of that can change the fact that our names are written in heaven. No one can blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life if it is written there by Jesus in his own blood. And so as we think about (coughs) uh, joy and permanent joy, right? the, the point here is that joy comes from knowing that we are loved and accepted by God. The joy, the permanent joy that Jesus desires for us to have is the joy that comes from knowing that the unchangeable, eternal God has written us and our names down in his book in heaven um, and that can never, ever change. And that is permanent joy. No matter what happens in life uh, to you, no matter what you do, your name is written in heaven uh, and you have a permanent claim there. And so the application, as we think about this, there are a number of applications that we can, we can draw from this, and I'll just mention them uh, briefly for you to think about. First, uh, is your name written in heaven? If you are here today uh, as someone who has not yet um, committed to Jesus, who has not yet put their trust in Jesus for his salvation, this is an opportunity to to be assured that your name is written in heaven by accepting Jesus and accepting his death on the cross for your sake. So if you're here as an unbeliever, if you're here as someone who is not yet um, committed to Jesus, this is an opportunity to do so. Secondly, um, ask yourself, uh, if you are a believer, what are you putting uh, your joy in that's impermanent? What are you you finding uh, joy in that, uh, that isn't permanent. And it could be good things. The, what the disciples were finding joy in was it, were, were good things. right? They were rejoicing in the work that God was doing. And when Jesus says, don't, don't find your joy in that, I think he's using hyperbole. I, I don't think he literally means you know, don't, don't find any joy in that. But what he's saying is, that shouldn't be your primary source of joy because if it is, you're going to lose it at some point in your life. As well as good as things are going now, and as as good as things are going to continue to go, at some point you're going to experience failure. Um, Whatever it is that you're finding your joy in is going to be taken away from you. And if that's your primary source of joy, you're going to lose that joy. And that's not what Jesus wants for us. And so ask yourself, and if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, I can can freely admit that I am often seeking and finding joy in impermanent things. Uh, And what that does is that creates anxiety over the loss of that thing. Right? If I'm finding joy in something that's impermanent or something that's impermanent, something that's temporary, something that can be lost, it's not actually joy that comes with that. It's anxiety over the fear of losing that thing. And what Jesus wants for us is a permanent joy that depends on permanent good news. So ask yourself, are you finding joy? Are you seeking joy in things um, that are, are temporary? And then finally, how can you grow in your confidence that God loves you and accepts you? Because that is where we find our joy in the knowledge, in the confidence, in the assurance that God loves you and accepts you. Uh, And the answer to that question is a sermon in and of itself. um, But I'll just throw some thoughts out there um, for you. The way in which we grow in our knowledge that God loves us is to be a part of a church in which God's love is regularly preached to us out of the Bible. You all are here, um, and and I I suppose most of you are members, but if you're not a member here, if you're just a visitor, um, consider getting plugged in. Find a church, whether it's this one or or if you're visiting from out of town, a church from your hometown, find a church in which the Bible is opened and God's love for you is preached from the Bible. Um, Take communion as often as it's offered. Communion is the way in which Jesus physically reminds us. He says, this is my body given for you, right? Jesus didn't die for people out there. He died for you. And in communion, when you take that bread and you take that wine or grape juice or whatever it is, that is Jesus saying to you, my body was broken for you. My blood was shed for you not just for people out there, but was shed for you. Read the Bible. That is how God communicates to us. Pray. That's how we communicate with God. right? All of these are different ways in which we grow in our knowledge and our assurance that God loves us uh, and accepts us and forgives us. So the first point uh, is that joy comes from knowing that we are loved and accepted by God. The second point is that joy comes from the Holy Spirit joy comes from the holy spirit joy is not something that we can manufacture on our own and this is so this is such an important point right because after the first point you might feel like man i'm 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 not a particularly joyful person i'm sort of morose i'm i'm gloomy i, I i'm i'm not just one of those people that seems to exude joy and you might feel ashamed of that and burdened down. And what I want you to see from this passage is that joy doesn't come from us, it comes from the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 21, it says, in that same hour he, that is Jesus, in that same hour Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus himself is receiving his joy from the Holy Spirit. Right, the joy that Jesus desires for us to have comes not from ourselves, because we are uh, moody, we are fickle, we change, we experience all sorts of different emotions. Right, if your joy depended on you, if my joy depended on me, we might as well throw up our hands and give up. Right, how how change how how. Um, uh, unstable we are as people, right? And the joy that Jesus wants us to have is a, is a permanent joy. And so it's a joy that comes from the eternal, unchangeable God, right? The joy that Jesus desires for us to have is not something that we just manufacture on our own, out of our own strength. Because what strength do we have to do that? The joy that Jesus wants us to have comes from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, Paul talks about how joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The joy that Jesus wants you to have doesn't depend on you. It comes from God himself. Uh, And so as we think about this, right, pray for the Spirit to work in your life. If you feel as though you are someone who lacks joy, the answer is not to simply commit yourself to work harder. The answer is to pray to God, to ask him to give you abundantly through his Holy Spirit the permanent joy that comes from God. This is joy. It's permanent joy because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on God. And we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you receive that joy from God, you can know and trust that it is a permanent joy. And finally, the last point. Um, the last point is that joy comes from sharing with others what Jesus has shared with us. So joy comes from knowing we're loved and accepted by God. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. And finally, joy comes from sharing with others what Jesus has shared with us. Notice what Jesus, what Jesus rejoices in, right? Verse 21 uh, and following, it says... Jesus, it says he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And then what does he actually rejoice? And he rejoices um, that the disciples know the Father. And they know the Father because they know the Son. Right? He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will." All things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows who the son is except the father or who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal to him. And then turning to his disciples, he says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The prophets of old, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, David, King David, the man after God's own heart, all of these great uh, men and women of God longed, yearned to see Jesus, to see the Father, to know Jesus, to know the Father. And yet they didn't. They saw a shadow through the corridors of time. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, you now see and hear what Isaiah yearned to see, what he longed to see. You hear what King David desired to hear. And he takes his joy, Jesus takes joy in the fact that the disciples know him and know the Father. Now, um, What I said was that joy comes from sharing with others what Jesus shared with us. And I want to turn back uh, to verse 16. We didn't read this verse. Um, but I think this is important for seeing what Jesus is saying here. Um, so verse 16 is, is right before Jesus sends the, the 72 out. So verse 17 is when they come back. Verse 16 is, is sort of as He's sending them out. Um, and what he says is the, so he's saying to the disciples, "The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects me, and the, uh, the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects, me rejects him who sent me. Um, so Jesus says in verse 16, right, if, if, if they hear you, they hear me. And then here in this passage, which we just read, what Jesus says is, if they hear me, they hear the Father, right? There's this sort of unbroken chain, um, that the Father sent the Son, and the Son sends the disciples, and if, if the disciples, um, if anyone hears the disciples, they hear Jesus, and if they hear Jesus, they hear the Father. Right? And you and I, all of us, exist in that unbroken chain. At some point in our lives, someone told us about Jesus. And someone told that person about Jesus, going all the way back to the, to the apostles and to Jesus himself. right? And so Jesus speaks to us through the corridors of time right, to make himself and the Father known to us through his disciples, through you and I. Right? And so as we share with others, we participate in that unbroken chain. We are Jesus' voice to others. They get to hear him speak through us what Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and David and, and, um, and Solomon and all the others wanted to see and wanted to hear. And Jesus rejoices in that. And, and the reason we can rejoice in that as well is that um, is that each and every one of us is is in, in an everlasting being. we're not eternal, we're everlasting, right? All of us are going to live forever, right? Um, and so as you speak God's word to others, as you share with others what God has done in your life, as you uh, share with others who God is and his love for them, you are doing something that has eternal consequences, right? You are participating in the work of Jesus to speak to another creature, another, another human being who is going to live forever. That has eternal consequences. And so we get to share in the joy that God has in calling others to himself. And that is a permanent joy because for all eternity, you and I will participate in the worship uh, of God with other believers, people whom we have had an opportunity to share God's word with. And what I want you to imagine for just a second, I want you to imagine before the foundations of the earth, before time even began, what we read in the book of Ephesians is that God, uh, God wrote the names of Uh, Wrote your name in his book. That Jesus, I want you to imagine Jesus before the foundations of the earth sitting down with tears streaming down his face, tears of joy as he writes your name in his book. Because he is so delighted to know you, to love you, to save you, and to spend eternity with you. So even before you were born, even before the sun and the moon existed, even before the creation, uh, he was writing in his book as it says in Ephesians before the foundations of the earth your name and what i want you to imagine is that as he finishes writing your name on the next line with the same tears of joy he's writing the name of your family member or your coworker or your neighbor or your child or your grandchild because he has the same joy over knowing and loving and saving them that he does over knowing and loving and saving you. And we get to participate in that joy by sharing with others what Jesus has shared with us. And that also is permanent joy because it has eternal consequences because those people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they are who we are going to spend eternity with, worshiping Jesus, praising him, and giving thanks for what he has done For us. And so uh, I just want to conclude by summarizing Jesus wants you to have permanent joy. He wants you to have a joy that isn't contingent on uh, on the things of this world that are temporary and fleeting. Now, some of you may be experiencing real tragedy. In fact, probably many of you are, because that's the nature of life uh, on this earth right? You have friends or family who are sick or dying uh, or who have, de- who have died. You've lost your jobs. You're struggling uh, financially. You have family members who've walked away from the faith, right? All sorts of things that cause sorrow. And what I want to say um, is that uh, the joy that Jesus offers to us is not the sort of uh, put a smile on your face and pretend that everything is okay, right? Jesus says, mourn with those who mourn, right? It's okay to, to grieve and to experience the sorrow of those things. Jesus himself wept and not tears of joy. He wept tears of sorrow when he saw that his, his uh, friend Lazarus was dead. And Jesus wept those tears minutes before he knew he was gonna raise Lazarus from the dead, Right? The joy that Jesus wants for us is not a joy that, that pretends like everything is all right and that doesn't leave room for tears of grief and sorrow, but it's a joy that runs deeper than that, um, that we can hold on to as an anchor in the midst of the sorrows that we experience. Right? Just as much as the joy that we tend to find uh, in, in this life is temporary, so also are those. Sufferings and sorrows temporary. Uh, and what we hold on to in the midst of the sorrow is the permanent joy that Jesus offers to us permanent joy that comes from permanent good news. Let me pray uh, for us today. Dear Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the assurance that we have that you love us, that you care for us, that you died in order to save us, uh, and that you, our names are written in your book of life. Uh, and that no one can blot them out, nothing can separate us uh, from your love. I pray that you would help us grow, uh, grow in us a capacity to experience and express a joy that is grounded in permanent good news. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.